stand for scripture. We're going to be in Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commanded um, as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated and kids can be dismissed to kids church. All right, as they're going, let me invite you, if you haven't already, to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and that's where we will be uh, focused today. And for a preacher preaching uh, Hebrews 11, that's like getting to preach on Easter or something like that. It is just this incredible passage of scripture, so don't uh, hate me if we go for another hour. I'm going to try not to, um, but so much there is just so rich. Hebrews 11, uh, the author is writing to a group of Christians that are pretty weary, and uh, if you go back to chapter 10, um, he's telling them <clears throat> things like, uh, you know, don't lose your confidence, you have the full assurance of faith. Hold fast to the hope. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead encourage one another. On and on. He is just trying to remind them of the confidences they started with. And I see this a lot. We started this, we started this uh, initiative, this generosity series we've been talking about. Almost, almost eight weeks ago, and we've been asking that question, would you ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do and then risk obeying him? And the stories have been incredible. You've come to me and told me that God has called you to do this, or he's leading you to do this, or you can't get this idea out of your head. And every time you open God's word, this is what the spirit seems to be saying. And I commend and applaud and cheer with you for hearing from God and taking that first step of faith. But a lot of times, if we're not careful, what God reveals in the light, we begin to doubt in the dark. Or we get discouraged in the difficulty. And there's always going to be that difficulty. I remember one of the last assignments I had as a youth pastor, um, I was a youth pastor. Ashley and I were in youth ministry for... Uh, I guess 12 years and uh, a couple different churches. But one of the last at the, at the church we served in Dallas, kind of the last assignment was to take them to youth camp. And we were going to youth camp we'd never been before. And uh, one of the uniqueness of this youth camp is they had these, uh, they had all this cool stuff you could do, right? Like you could go and like rappel down the side of a mountain and you could go and belay uh, on, 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 the, on the rock face. It was these really cool kind of adventure sports. And um, 
I like to think I'm an adventure guy. Um, I'm adventure like ultimate frisbee, like that kind of adventure guy. Um, like trying the hot wings, that kind of adventure guy. That's not what this was. This was actual adventure and uh, zip lines, all the things. And so uh, I remember Ash and I are going to go repel because if the little seventh graders are doing it, surely Ash and I have got to go. So you remember the repelling? And, um, and we're repelling, not like the real repelling. We're, we're going off like a 15-foot uh, cliff, and, um, which is like, you know, we're walking up to it. I'm like, oh, that's, you know, 15 foot. That's going to be nothing. You could basically jump that, right? Until we get up there and we get all harnessed in and we strapped up and all the things. And uh, they're, they're big on education and safety. And so they're telling you all the things. And you got the hat on and, you know, trust this and trust the, trust the equipment. And, you know, you're like, I got it. I got it, man. You know, it's like uh, talking to the cable company sometimes about how to reset your, your modem or something. I got it. I got it. We, yep. We, got it. Okay. So we're there. And Ash and I are both, I think we're maybe going at the same time. And we, um, you kind of, you kind of back to the to the side of the cliff and everything. You're like peeking over. When you peek over, that 15 foot looked like 150 foot. It looks, it looks really far. Like if you fell, there would be nothing left of your body. That's what you think about. And so you're there, and um, and you get to the very cliff, and you're leaning back on the rope. Some of you've done this. You know, kind of what a pansy I am that this was so hard for me. You get to that edge, and you lean back into what you can't see. The structure's at the top, and everybody at the bottom's like cheering you on. Um, they got the best view of you, right? To so this strapped up, and you're, and this weird thing happens. Every muscle in your body begins to shake, like uncontrollably, you know. And it, it's if you've never done it, it's quite frightening. And uh, the instructor tells me that a lot of people that do this don't ever actually go over. They get stuck. They get so fearful. All they have to do is trust the rope and just squeeze the, the device that releases the brake. And there's like 43 automatic things. Like, you're going to be fine. But you don't think that. And you're going over and all your muscles are shaking. And then finally, you like slowly let it down. You see a professional do it, they do it in two hops. It is like so aggravating. It took me 15, 20 minutes to come down this 15-foot, you know, cliff. Um, let's just call it a hill. That's what it really was. I get to the bottom, your muscles are sore. I, I was thinking about this story uh, this week. That's the only time I've ever gone repelling. I think I'm done. I've marked that off the list. I was thinking about that when I was, when I was reading this. I kept thinking this because what started with enthusiasm and this is not going to be this big a deal and this is so exciting, when you trust the rope to go off into something you can't see, you get paralyzed with fear. And I think this is the exact thing that's going on in this chapter. That's why the author of Hebrews is encouraging them so much. Remember, remember all that you have. Can, remember the confidence that you had to, to, to enter by the blood of Jesus and this new way of living through the, uh, the, the torn veil. Let us draw near with the full assurance of faith, he says in verse 22, and our bodies washed with pure water and hold fast to this confession and don't let go. Don't lose hope. And we get to chapter 11, which, you know, the world has the hall of fame and we have the, the hall of faith is what, I was, is what it was always talked about when I, when I was growing up. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
Hebrews 11.1 gives us this definition of faith. It's substance. It's evidence. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it regardless of how we feel because God promises a good result. But we can't embrace the realities of faith until we just expose what faith is not. That faith is not a head in the sand position. It isn't denying or ignoring or hiding from the obvious or the inevitable. It's not pretending something is real when deep down you really don't believe it. That's fear. That's not faith. Faith is not anti-intellectual. <laughs> it's not a warm feeling that requires you to check your intellect at the door. That's feelings. That's not faith. Faith is not shallow, positive, mental attitude. It's not a platitude, just follow your dreams. Nor does faith ignore pain and embrace only optimism regardless of the evidence. That's foolishness. That's not faith. Faith is active confidence in the God who has revealed himself. That's what faith is. Faith is active confidence in the God who has revealed himself. Not a vague uncertainty about an unknown someone. God has proven himself real again and again. And if you've not experienced that reality, you can even today. Your faith comes alive as you believe the word of God and you act upon it. And then the author, we don't have time to go so deep into every one of these. I, I was telling Jason we could do, a, we could do an eight-week series just on this. And go back and read the stories that, that he's going to recall. But in verse 6, we find out, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. There is no pleasing God without the hard posture of faith. In other words, you can only go so far without faith. Again, the writer's admonishing this group of people who have been following Jesus, and following Jesus has, has, has gotten really difficult. One, a lot of them thought that, that Jesus was going to return within their own lifetime. And the years go, and the persecution grows, and they're kicked out of their own homeland, and they're learning a new culture, and one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing, and, and God did not come as quickly as they thought. They're also being persecuted for their faith. That included many of their friends. Some of them have fallen away. Hebrews talks about that. Some people who started well, they were in the, in the group, and then the persecution got too difficult, and then, then they jumped ship. They bailed. Their friends and extended family are telling them that they're crazy. They've got a lot of unanswered questions. Why isn't God doing this, or where is God when I need him? Many of the people the writer is addressing are starting to lag behind in their faith. That's why the writer tells them, hey, listen, friends, I want, you to, I want you to know this. A clue in, this is what the author is saying, and it's true for them, it's true for us. That they aren't going to make it if they don't honestly and truly believe that God exists and that following him is worth it. They're just not going to make it. Now, we live in a world without a lot of persecution for our faith. At least it's been that way for most of my lifetime. It seems to be getting less so in recent years. But for the most part, people don't bother us for our walk with Jesus. We didn't gather together worried about oppression from the outside or the military jumping in and stopping us. It's fairly easy for us to go through the motions of most of the Christian life without real faith. 
but we'll never please God with that alone. And we'll never go all the way with him. That means we'll never believe everything he reveals. We'll never really live as a disciple. We'll never be involved meaningfully in the mission that he's put in front of us until we're convinced that God is and that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. As it says in verse 6. And some of you, like me on the edge of that cliff, are going to come to a point of crisis of obedience if you're not there already, thinking, can I really trust him? So what I want to do is just kind of dive into the middle of this text. Again, I would love to take more time and preach it all, but let's start in verse 17. The author is going to list, hey, listen, uh, don't lose confidence, don't lose hope. And then the, the chapter 11, he's going to list all these people who by faith took this faith step and God rewarded their obedience. And he's going to list a bunch of them. And you're going to be familiar with a lot of these if you've gone to church at all. This is going to be somewhat familiar to you. If you're not a church guy, maybe you won't remember a lot of these. But I'll try to tell some of these, uh, give some context. And then in chapter 12... The next chapter, he's going to say, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's all the people we just talked about, we can run with perseverance and endurance the race that is marked out for us. So let's jump in in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it said, through Isaac, your, your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And man, I, this is the whole sermon. You could really go with this whole sermon and you could go back to Genesis 22 where all this happened. But God had told Abraham to sacrifice his only son. You remember that story. And this was more than just a sacrifice of something he loved. As significant as that was, and I, I've mentioned even before in those days, your sons were your hope for the future. The society was agrarian. The more sons you had, the, the more help you had to work the land and tend the herds, the more income you could generate from your family. Plus, it was your, all your retirement. The more kids that you had, the children would be your safety net as you got older. Abraham and Sarah have only one child, and he was by a miracle. If you remember that whole story, they were old and advanced in their years. They were barren. God makes them a promise that they're going to have a child, and they have that child. And now God comes and asks them to give this child up. He was asking them to give up everything they look to for life and joy and security, to put their earthly hopes and dreams on the line and walk away from it all. And it took incredible faith, and they did it. And they said to God, God, our futures are in your hand, our hope, our security, our trust with you. And in studying this week, just this incredible step of, just Abraham, when he was called out, didn't know where he was going, and he took a step of faith, and he went to a special land, and then the whole, the, then, then the kids, and the, all the things, just such a man of faith. And then to continue the story in verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is another just crazy story as we're kind of walking through some of the Old Testament. Here you got two stories of people who died in the state where it looked like God didn't get anywhere close to fulfilling his promises. 
Remember, God had told Abraham that his descendants would become this great nation and they would have their own land. This is where we get the promised land from. And that they would be a blessing on earth to all the nations. Now, Jacob is Abraham's grandson, yet when he dies, the family is in Egypt because they've had to flee there because of a famine. And this is just how things tend to work as you read the Bible. Like things never go as you expect them to go, and they never happen as quickly as you expect them to happen. Things are actually going in the wrong direction. Abraham already found the promised land at one time, and then him and his descendants had to leave there because of this famine. Rather than looking like they're going to be made into a great nation that blesses the earth, they're guests in someone else's nation, and they become slaves to them. And yet when he dies, he leans over the staff and repeats the promise to his son and asks to be buried back in the land that God had promised because God is going to keep his promise even if it's not in my lifetime. And then Joseph, his son, dies, and the whole family is in Egypt. And he does the same thing as he brings the people together and he says, listen, when, when, I, when our family returns to the land God gave us, dig up my bones and take them back. Because that place is the place that God promised and God's going to keep his word. I know this is not the end of the story. And then verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choose, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Think about how crazy this is. You know the story of Moses, and he got in Pharaoh's household just by this crazy crazy God thing is as they're killing all the babies and they put him in a basket and they floated him down and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and says, I'm going to raise him in my home. And Moses grew up in that home. And he's got all the inheritance and all the privilege and all the position that you could have ever hoped for. He's one of the highest positions in the world's mightiest empires. And yet he decides to walk away from it all on what basis? It says there in verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so he walks away from it all. And it wasn't like he was just walking away from this position in the, in the Egyptian empire and then he's going to be transferred into this same position of privilege and prominence in the Israelite. No, 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 they were slaves. His prominence and leadership in Israel wouldn't happen for another 40 years. He left the halls of power to go feed sheep in the desert and wait on God for decades. Can't you hear his friends telling him how crazy is Moses? This position, this palace, this power is real. You can, you can use it even for God's glory where you're at. You've got this real future and security here in Egypt. And you're going to leave all of that for something you don't even know what the text says. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. But he did it. He traded the visible for the invisible because he believed it. As a matter of fact, if you're like in your Bibles or you're taking notes, you should like underline a circle every time it says by faith. It says it a dozen or more times in there. By faith, by faith. Verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Again, if you don't have 
If you don't have, a, this sounds like a Marvel movie if, if you don't, uh, if, if you, you're not familiar with this. And we don't have time to go back there. But the way that God was going to save his people as he brings the plagues on Egypt is he told them, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to kill the, the sheep, the, the sheep that you've been raising for the sacrifice. And I want you to post it on the doorpost so that when the angel of the Lord comes, the angel of death is going to come by and he's going to kill the firstborn of every family. But their salvation, and this is pointing to the salvation that Jesus would be the Lamb of God. And this is the practice they're doing. And even the Egyptians are in on this practice if they want to do it. Can you imagine the Israelites talking to the Egyptians and saying, man, this is just what we've got to do. Um, you know, uh, you take your little sheep and if you, you kill it and put some of the blood on the, on the door frame, um, then you'll be spared tonight. And spared from what? And they're telling them the whole story. And they just think that they've just had, had some really bad Taco Bell and they don't even know what's going on. Can you imagine the ridicule? Similar to that of Noah, which is earlier in the chapter, who built the ark in the middle of the dry land because God said he was sending a flood and people mocked him, saying, you have lost your mind. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Here you've got the children of Israel actually getting out of Egypt, and they're trusting that God is going to provide for them. And they're, I mean, can you imagine just the situation? They've seen all the plagues. God has finally delivered them. It's time to go. Grab all your stuff. We're getting out of town. And they just, just go just a really short journey, and, and they, they come to the first really, really major roadblock. They've got the, the Red Sea in front of them, mountains on the sides of them, and uh, Egypt, the Egyptian army behind them. And can you imagine uh, the elbowing going on by the spouses? I told you this was a dumb idea. I told you. We should have stayed back where we were. But they trusted God. And he led them through the Red Sea as on dry land. God, what are we supposed to do? God says, go forward. <laughs> well, there's an ocean there, Lord. Can you, can you not see that? And God says in Exodus 34, trust me, go forward. I will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Verse 14. And they believed him and they set their face for the Red Sea and they took a step. And God did the unbelievable. He opened up the sea itself and they're walking through. And I love how the text even points out that they walk through on dry land. And then the Egyptian army, we still got to deal with them. It's not just about getting across the Red Sea. They're hot on the heels, and Pharaoh regrets his decision of letting them go in the first place. And yet, as soon as all the Israelites get through what was the Red Sea on dry land, and the Egyptian army follows in suit, the walls of the waves come down and drown them. Again, if you've been in church very long, some of these just seem commonplace. But when you really think about what God did, and then you think about how the Israelites complained so much after the supernatural God worked on their behalf, you think, man, these people are crazy. And then you think, well, they're, they're, they're just like me. How many times has God provided his faithfulness for us, only for us to get? I mean, a moment later. In verse 30, by by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Again, this is one of the craziest stories. The Red Sea thing's crazy. The Abraham thing, uh, certainly crazy. The Moses thing, crazy. And the basket, the whole bit. But this thing, 
they're walking in the promised land. They come to Jericho, which had been promised to them. And they go up against this enemy. And they're like, okay, God, there's this, uh, what's the strategy for defeating this enemy? And, um, and you can, you know, we're gathering. Can You can just see, like, the, the war room table and the military generals. And they're like, well, we, we flank them on this side. I know the, uh, the Trojan horde. I know that wasn't a thing yet. But the, maybe we can, you know, we're going to get in or... We're going to shoot some arrows with fire on them, and we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to get this thing. And they're, they're strategizing, and then, and then Josh speaks up and says, you know what? Uh, God's, God's got a different plan. We're going, to, we're going to run the old circle and shout around them. <laughs> circle and shout. And the experience, <laughs> can you imagine? Like, uh, we, never, we never learned that in war school. The circle and shout tells, tells oh, it's, it's literally the circle and shout. We're just... We're just going to be silent. We're going to march around the city um, every day for seven days. On the seventh day, we're going to go seven times. And on that last time, we're going to get there, and we're just going to let out a woo. And then, uh, then, then the walls are just going to come down, and God's going to give us a city. And you can imagine saying, well, uh, Lord, I don't know about that. The, the circle and shout, really? That's, that's, the best, that's the best you got? Time like this, the, the circle and shout? No battering rams? No flanking maneuvers. And God says, just do what I tell you. Walk around at the appropriate time. Give a shot of faith, and I'm going to fight for you. And they did it, and God gave them the city. Aren't you glad this chapter's here? How many times has it taken God longer than you expected? How many times has the journey been more painful than the one you signed up for? How many times has God's direction seemed ridiculous? When you thought God, God was somehow lost. Some of you might just need to be reminded this morning that this is what the journey of faith looks like. You bought into some kind of health and, and wealth, prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say, you count the cost before you follow. And if they persecuted me, they're certainly going to persecute you. He would say, in this world, you're going to have many troubles. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. I'm going to look just as quickly as we can three, three important things about faith. We've been preparing to take these faith steps. God shared things with us. We've, we're preparing to take a faith step as a church. But more than that, individually, you're preparing to take a faith step. Because that's what it takes to follow God. And he's always going to lead us into a place where it requires faith. And we want a map. Don't we want a map? I was talking to a friend about this yesterday. We just want the map. God, just give me the map. And you give me the map of what the next 10 years of my life is going to look like, and you may promise what would happen to most of us, we wouldn't need God anymore. We would just go for the map. And God's like, you know what? I'm not going to give you the map. I'm going to give you the next step. Just the next step. I'm just going to give you the next step. Which this is the great picture of faith, is us holding up and reaching up and grabbing the hand of God and saying, I trust you. Let's take the next step. God, I don't even need a map. I just need you. First, faith is a response to God's revelation. Faith is relatively simple. It believes that God exists and obeying him is worth it. We've been asking you, and you would risk obeying him. That God exists and that obeying him is worth it. Now, people look at that phrase, the phrase he exists, and they say, well, that's the problem. How do you know that he exists? It seems like... Hebrews is saying that you just make some blind leap in the dark and you say, well, I just believe God exists with no evidence. I believe just because. But 
Certainly that's not what, what faith is. That's certainly not what the Bible even offers to us. Believing that he exists means that you believe that God is as God has revealed himself. God, the Bible never sets out to prove God philosophically. There's no book of the Bible called the five arguments of God. It just points to the places that God is speaking. It says, do you recognize these as the voice of God? In creation, in Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth proclaims his handiwork. Their voice goes through all the earth and their words are heard to the end of the world. There's no place on earth where the voice of God is not heard. For most people, the explanation that nothing times nobody equals everything is just not that compelling. You see it in the longing for eternity in your heart. As Ecclesiastes wrote, that eternity is woven in your heart. Or, or you see it in the transcendence you feel in the, in the moments of romantic love. Or you sense it in the gratitude you feel in your happiest moments. C.S. Lewis said that atheists have the problem of feeling profoundly grateful in their happiest moments and not knowing who to thank. So faith is this response to the revelation of God through his word, through creation, through the voice inside of you. You might say, I have, Pastor, if I'm honest, I have, so, I have such a hard time believing. There's just so many questions. Why is this happening? If God loves me, what about this? And I don't understand the morality of this. And I read the Old Testament, and it is so confusing. And what about hell? Why is there hell? I, can I be honest with you? I feel you. I feel, like, I feel like I probably have more questions than you have. But faith is not the absence of questions. Faith is the confidence in the promises of God despite the questions. God, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. But I'm going to hold your hand and I'm going to walk with you. Because certainly from your vantage point, you know a lot more than I do. That's right where these people in Hebrews are. And the author is saying to them, even in chapter 2, if you go back and read it, we don't have all the answers, but you know what we do have? We have Jesus. We recognize the voice of God in Jesus. And where we can't understand everything about God or his plan, we trust him because we recognize that he is God. One of the early church fathers defined faith this way, faith seeking understanding. I want to understand, and every once in a while I get this flash of light, and I do begin to understand more than I did before. But in the meantime, when I can't understand it, I hold on to what God has revealed about himself, that he's loving and good and kind and powerful. And even when I can't understand it all, I look to Jesus. That's why I tell you, no matter what you're reading in the Bible, always have the Gospels in there and see who Jesus is. The exact representation of the Father expressed through flesh to us, recorded in God's word, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, so we would, be, we would know. But God, I don't, I don't understand, but when I look through the lens of the cross, I understand that you love me so greatly that you would die for me. The source of my faith is not explanation, but revelation. As God reveals more light, we take steps into the light and we see more and more light. Faith is a response to revelation. It's what it is. Second, faith is action. We've already talked about this in Nehemiah. This action, I, I love, I've got this activator thing in me. I told you before, I love to start. But faith is action. The people in this chapter are famous, not for what they accomplished. They're famous for what? They're famous for their faith. Did you notice when the writer describes them that all of them are presented in terms of some action? 
that Noah built and Abraham left and Jacob blessed and Joseph instructed and Moses chose and Joshua fought and on and on we could go. Faith is synonymous with action. It's an actual verb. Apart from action, there is no faith because faith does not exist apart from action. Faith is a conviction expressed by a choice to act on the revealed word of God. Obedience is not something you do later down the road after you have faith. Your faith doesn't, your belief doesn't become faith until you've acted upon it. Faith is not me standing on the edge of the cliff believing the rope might hold me. Faith is me grabbing the rope and diving off the cliff. There is no faith apart from obedience. And a lot of us, I think we're just waiting for this special moment where we're going to have assurance before we take the step. That the Jordan is going to recede before they took the step. And it just doesn't work that way. One of the verses we skipped over before we start to wrap this thing up. I love in verse 8. Talk about faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Maybe you'd underline that. He obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going. You ever felt like you didn't know where you were going? I remember when we came to plant this church. I was talking to Ashley about it. And in our relationship, I'm the, I'm the dreamer. And she's the, okay, let's come up with a rational plan to actually get from point A to point B. If not, we have already moved to many different countries already. Just like, man, wouldn't this be cool if we went and planted a church in Dubai? Let's go. Mm. I'm not sure your lungs could handle Dubai. When I first told her, I was like, hey, what do you think? Well, first, I, I didn't tell her. I just, I let the Lord tell her. And I, I'm, I don't know if you know Ashley. She's just sweet little Ashley, and she is sweet most time. But she has this, like, Cajun streak in her um, that comes out sometimes. Um, and, uh, and so I was like, all right, Lord. She would already told me we're not going to Shreveport. So I'm not telling her that. You got to tell her that. Send the angel of the Lord. Um, I'm not your messenger. I'm not your man. So. You know, you send Gabriel, send somebody. And she rolled over in our bed uh, one night uh, right before we went to sleep. And she said, uh, I, think, I think God's calling us to go plant a church. I was looking for Gabriel. Like, where did he, where'd he go? Where is he? Is he here? So I was excited about the next day. We started talking about it at breakfast. And I was, you know, I kind of laid out, this is what I'm thinking. We go to Seattle. We go to New York. We need to stay a little closer to home. We go to Lido, Texas. That would be a cool place. It's kind of a growing town, no real evangelistic uh, church there. Maybe, you know, I'm laying these things out. And um, I lay it all out. And I was like, all right, you got any questions? And she's like, um, what about our insurance? Who's going to pay our insurance? I'm like, I don't know that. And we stepped out of faith, and God just did this incredible thing. I couldn't imagine going home with a story like uh, Abraham. He goes home and tells Sarah, hey, um, you know what? Uh, God's calling us to leave our land and go. Where are we going, Abraham? Abram at that point? I don't know. He didn't get that far. 
He just says, time to go. Uh, uh, well, maybe you could go ask him. Where, where, are we go, where are we actually, where are we going to go? I, I don't know. He just said go. So we're just going to pack up our stuff and we're just going to go. <laughs> Recorded here. That he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Faith is action. Third point. Faith risks obedience on the unseen. It risks obedience on the unseen. Is that not what the definition of faith was to us in verse 1? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell. He's adding names to the list of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, here's that word faith again you might underline, they conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and they quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword and were made strong of weakness and became mighty in war and they put foreign armies to flight and women received back their dead by resurrection. Just this incredible hype speech. We can do it. Dadgum, sometimes the Bible just keeps going. And some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with the sword and they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves on the earth. God, if you're, if you're calling us to things, I want to be called in group number one, just to make it clear. Just, that just sounds like the best. Um, arm, putting armies to flight, mighty in war, strong in weakness, escape the edge of the sword, quench the power of the fire, shut the mouths of lions. That's, that's the group I want to be in. But we don't get to choose what group. You've got some who received great deliverance with their faith and others died with nothing on earth that really validated their sacrifice of faith every step of the way. What they did have in common is they all believed the word of God and they risked everything upon it. And if we had time, we could, we, we could go back in, in this very chapter and talk about the city that they longed for, the better city, not just the promised land, but the better city whose builder and architect is God. And there is one of those cities, friends, and, and those of us who are in Christ today that, that will spend eternity in, in said city, this beautiful city, you think about the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen, any edifice or, or, or building or city, and you get kind of caught up and like, man, that's amazing how they did that. Just wait until you see the city whose builder and architect is God. A city with no hospitals and no recovery units and no funeral homes. Can you imagine that kind of city? And this is this group. Verse 39. 
And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. Um, for God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So here's the question. Can you lean back on? Over the cliff? Risk it all? On what's invisible? If you require earthly validation for your faith, friends, you're not going to make it long. Because that's what faith is. A life of faith requires confidence in a God you can't see and promises that you can't always feel, and sometimes you stand alone with seemingly the whole world against you. Like Abraham, will you obey all that God commands? Will you obey what God says about morality, even when it makes no sense to you, and it certainly doesn't make any sense to culture? When people sometimes say, well, you know, I love God and I believe the Bible, but I don't believe this part and this part and this part. If you're the kind of person who demands that you agree with everything that God says before you do it, I don't think you understand what it means to follow him by faith and for him to be Lord of your life. Or maybe you sense that God's calling you specifically to do something that's requiring you to walk away from your career or your security, and people are telling you that it's crazy. Can you, like Jacob and Joseph, have unwavering hope in the midst of darkness? When the day is dark and the outlook is bleak, can you rejoice that God has appointed all things for his purposes and that he's going to bring every one of his promises to pass, that he can mend what's been broken and he can turn your uh, tragedy into triumph? In the darkest hour of the night, can you get up with hope, with joy in your heart, as James 1 says, because of the endurance is creating in you? When the, when the cancer's not in remission, when the family's not holding together, when, when, the, when the time for you to get married is, is, is passed by, when the, when the spouse isn't coming back, when the kids are not responding, can you stand in faith then? How you respond to disappointment and tragedy reveals whether or how much you actually believe God. Any, anyone can believe him when things are rosy and cush. Said another way, your ability to be joyful in all things is the true measure of your faith. So what if you have to wait like Jacob and Joseph? Decades and decades of waiting. Where you tell your kids, hey, you know, it didn't happen in my lifetime, but it's going to happen. When it happens, dig up my bones. Waiting is so hard for us and so necessary to strengthen our faith. What if everyone around you thinks you're crazy like the Egyptians did or those in the day of Noah when he's building the boat in the middle of the desert? Can you trust that God's going to provide for you in the impossible situations when you're pursuing his will like Israel did at the Red Sea or even Jericho? I feel this for our church as we prepare to take this next step in this generosity initiative. I told you about this conversation I had with God at the beginning of this. We prayed and prayed and prayed. I mean, we prayed, we, I mean, we prayed for 18 months about the timing, even longer than that. All right, God, when you're ready, when you're ready. And I, I just feel like he was telling us not to do it. So for 11 years, we haven't done anything. We didn't even have like a, a future building account. Well, we did it one time, but we helped start another church with that account. 
And, and every time we would just get this little bundle of money, there's another church plant would come up, and I would just feel, we would pray about it, and God would be like, you know what, that's for them. And then Stephen Partain gives me a call, and he's got his own building already. And I'm like, Lord, you know, what, you know, I probably got that news when our trailers were not here when we showed up one morning. I'm like, uh, Lord, what, what in the world? And so we actually take the step, and we're like, we're going to start this generosity initiative. We're going to call our people to sacrifice and to give. And then gas goes up to like $18 a gallon. And I'm like, Lord, there's no way I can honor this commitment. I, can, I literally can't even, like, fill up my, I'm, I'm like me in high school again. You remember in high school when you would put, like, 85 cents in? You would just grab your change and let me just get enough to get home. 85 cents could last you a week then, but it, it can now. You pay 85 cents for the fumes probably when you go there. And then the lumber prices are back up. And, 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 and now the interest rates. And I'm, I'm arguing with the Lord one day. I was like, Lord, I feel like you sent me up, man. And all I could hear him tell me is, Luke, do you trust me? I feel this as a parent sometimes. God, how can I raise my children, as even Jason said, in this kind of world? Maybe how scared and panicky we get that God won't provide for us reveals how little we actually believe in him. Like Moses, have you believed in eternity so much that you've taken your earthly power and position and leveraged it for the invisible kingdom? I'm convinced that even people in this room, that God is working on your heart to walk away from your lucrative career, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the crisis for you right now is, do you believe him and in him and his mission enough to do it? Or to figure out how to re-engineer your career so that it's used for the purposes of God and his mission. Or maybe God's telling you to, 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 to give away lots of money. Or whatever the step is. I don't mean to be negative, but for a lot of us, our lives, if we were really to describe them, take very little faith. We're tipping a little money to God when, when the plate comes by. It's not gospel giving. Giving till it hurts. Until you say that the only way that I can feel good about giving this much money away is that I believe eternity is real and that I'm investing in it. Many of us are not bold in our witness. We never say anything controversial to anyone. Maybe it's because we're not convinced that God's word is the actual truth. And through the proclamation of the gospel, people move from death to life. And yet we won't even invite somebody to church. Many of us never go on mission trips, not because we're against the mission. We're just not willing to sacrifice so that others may hear and see the gospel at work. For many of us, living our Christian life is not predicated upon our absolute confidence in the invisible. And this is what the author is telling us in Hebrews 11. Without faith, friends, it's impossible to please God. Do you really believe in the invisible and are you willing to put it all on the line for eternity? I'm telling you, that's been a gut question. It's been a kick in the gut for me this week. So there it is. Faith is a bold risk on the promises of an unseen God. Faith's object is the revealed word of God. It's not a positive feeling, not a hunch, not a wish upon a star. It's quite simply believing the promises of God. It's not some magic elixir that makes God like you better or commandeers him to serving you. It's not name it and claim it. It's placing your weight. It's taking a step on the promises of God. And friends, we aren't like Abraham and Noah. We've seen the faithfulness of God. They, they never even saw the Messiah. 
We live on this side of the historical account of the Messiah who came and lived this perfect life and was crucified on a cross by the Romans and was, and was dead and was buried. And three days later, he rose again. And he appeared to 500 people at one time and 50 people at one time. And the disciples several times, so much that the secular historians even wrote about it. That even the emperors knew that he was a real guy. And they thought he probably, after all of this, was the son of God. And we've got all of that. And then, let me add more to that, we've got God's faithfulness in our own lives. I was thinking about this last night. Chapter 12, this great cloud of witnesses. Since we have this such great cloud of witnesses, the author says, all the people, Noah and Abraham and Moses and Moses, all those, let us run with endurance. And he's asking you to take a step of faith. Friends, what step of faith is he asking you to take? Let me tell you, God comes through not before you take the step, but as you take the step. Remember when Jason and Tracy decided they were going to go adopt from China? I remember being in the staff meeting when Jason told us it cost more than $40,000. And we were all like, well, that wasn't God. Because um, the church at that point was paying him $1,000 a month. And they took a step. And God provided money. And the witness to the provision of God is little Hattie Jane that comes and hugs all of us every morning. It wasn't just them. Then the beverages decided they're going to do the thing. Again, just like how in the world are we going to do this? And then God provided. And then the Willises. We're going back to Asia. I see a theme. I remember us telling their story one Sunday morning, and the first time somebody had visited our church, they weren't members of our church, the first time they had come, they heard that story, and they wrote a $4,000 check to them. God provided. They took the step, and then God provided the means. And that's how it works. Or all the people I could tell you that have gone into the fostering, and I've prayed with you, and I've, I've wept with you in the adoption process, and it can be so difficult, and what if they're going to want their kids back, and, and how are they going to relate to me as a parent, and what about the early childhood trauma that they experienced, and all the things, and we prayed about those, and we left those on the altar, and God says, you trust me, I'm going to provide the means, and I'm going to take care of the steps. So many stories. People took a step, and God provided Last week, uh, Dave and Heather Deloach, and I, I'm not asking anybody these permission, uh, so fire me afterwards. D Dave and Heather uh, gave a little testimony in the equipping class of how their marriage was gone. I mean, it was toast in their own words. I don't remember if Dave or Heather said, we had to die. And then God brought this thing back together and turned their hearts back to God and back to each other. God provided We all remember praying for Noah Schultz. Little boy was in our church, got cancer. I don't know, he's 10 or 11. I remember we were at, a, we were at our huddle, the men's DG, the night that Travis kind of felt that because he had had some of that in his family and uh, the reports didn't look good and he was so scared. Dave, you remember that? He was so scared for Noah. And we just began to beseech God, God, cry out for Noah. And certainly the, the reports came back that week and he had cancer all over his body. And we went to their house and we began to pray and pray and pray. And he went through all these treatments and, and they killed the cancer. And, and, then, and then before you knew it, the cancer is back. And we're praying and praying with them. Till one day they went in for those scans and then there's no more cancer. Not even a little bit. It was just, it was just gone. And God's faithfulness was so evident 
or Crystal Barn here. Many of you might not remember her. They're a military family. They've, they've, they've moved uh, cities since then. But every, every, every Sunday, she would ride on her little card. She would pray for her dad's salvation. You remember this, Jason? Every Sunday, every Sunday. It, no one else would fill out a card. Everybody's scared to fill out those cards. I don't know what you think if there's like some kind of voodoo or something behind that. No, no, just fill out a card so we can pray with you. And she believed that. And she wrote her dad's, her dad's I'm praying for my dad's salvation. I'm praying for dad's, every week for three or four years, every week. I'm praying for dad's salvation until one week we got it back. And said, so I want you to know my dad got saved. God's faithfulness. Our friend Adam Brazier. I sat at a table with him just a couple years ago. We had a little men's day and I love Adam because Adam is just the most honest dude that you've ever talked to in your life. He's not, he's just going to let you know what it is. He's like, hey, I'm sitting right next to him. And he's like, I just, we were going around the circle. It came to Adam. He's like, I just want to tell you, I don't believe any of it. I just don't believe any of it. You know, I've just been trying to, uh, I've been trying to be a good husband and, you know, trying to make Sarah happy. And, uh, you know, I just, I just don't believe any of it. Well, there's that. He wasn't resistant to it. He just didn't believe it. So we began to pray that God would give him the gift of faith. And God did, and we baptized our friend. God's faithfulness. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith today. Use the little acronym LIFE to talk about the steps of faith in front of us. One is leadership. That you would follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit today. It, it likely has nothing to do with money. But it does have to do with faith. That he's been calling you and stirring in your heart. And you just, I just want you to just write that thing on a card. And we're going to get up and we're going we're gonna to put our little uh, cards in baskets later of our commitment to the land. But... You know what would just thrill my heart? If whatever you wrote on that card that wasn't money. You just took your little connection card and you just wrote, you know, pray for me. I feel like God's calling me to adopt. Pray for me. I'm walking through just a season of just loneliness. Pray for me. I want to trust God through my loneliness. Pray for me. I'm still single and I'm looking for, I'm looking for a husband. I'm looking for a wife. And just pray that I can honor God while I wait. I feel like God's calling me into missions. I feel like God's calling me to plant a church. I feel like God's calling me to forgive one of my family members that we've had this grudge between and we just can't get past it. And they were so wrong and they hurt me so bad. And yet I got to take a step and forgive them. Would you join me in praying, me, praying with me for my lost son or my lost daughter or my lost father or my lost mother like Crystal? Just whatever that step of faith that God's stirring in your heart. Friends, what are we doing here if we're not going to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Would you take a step? Follow him. And then the eyes, your influence, your 8 to 15, the people, your, your, your interconnected web of relationships, the people of peace in your life, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people you play ball with. God has intentionally planted you within their proximity to be an outpost for the gospel in their life. Would you be faithful with your influence? Would you brag on God? Would you encourage someone else? Would you invite them to take a faith step? Would you share the gospel with one of them? The F is your finances. Today's our commitment Sunday. I think we've shared our heart as clearly as we can. If you're a visitor with us today, feel no obligation. This is for the people who call coming at home and want to be a part in our next step as a faith family. 
And this is a big step. Ashley wrote our number down a, a minute ago, and I looked at it, and we both gulped. We were like, Lord, how, how are you going to do this? I don't know if it's going to be a windfall that, you know, sometimes you get money that you're not expecting, and maybe it's going to be those. You know, maybe, Lord, maybe. Maybe it's going to be one of those. You're just going to, my hands are open, send it right through, right on through. Y'all, if I get a $10,000 check in the mail tomorrow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freak out. Yes, Lord, even so. Someone shared this with me this week, that we're to steward the temporal with gratitude and invest in the eternal with abandon. Steward the temple with gratitude. Enjoy it. The good gifts that God's given you, enjoy those things. Give glory to God for them. Thank God for them. Steward the temple with gratitude, but invest in the eternal with abandon. I believe in the mission that God has given our church. To be disciples and family and missionaries. To plant a hundred churches. I believe in that call. I've got one shot to make him famous in Bossier City. Not the religious Jesus, but the real Jesus. And I want to give all of my life for that. I'm going to invest in the eternal with abandon. And fourthly, your expertise. This is your talents. We've talked about this. Using your talents to push back the kingdom of darkness and expand the kingdom of light. We're going to end a little differently today and we're going to take some time just to pray. Now, if you're not a believer and praying's just weird, weird for you, that's okay. I don't want you to feel any awkwardness or pressure. Just bow your head, and I promise nobody's going to pray. They're going to think you're super spiritual, and you've got this connection going, and they're going to leave you alone. Uh, the band's going to come up, and I'm going to put a passage of Scripture on the screen. But, Christian, it's, it's the last couple ones I have there, and you'll have to kind of toggle back and forth. It was too much to get on one screen, but... This is, this is Paul's prayer for the church. And I'm going to read it to you. Then I'm going to give you some time just to pray as a family. If your family's here, if you've got friends next to you, you can bring them in. Just groups of two or three. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. How dare we just spend some time just really seeking the face of God together. So we're going to pray. And um, the band's just going to play instrumental behind us. And, uh, and, I, and I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to pray the words of God. This is, this is Ephesians 6, and you can even pray it over each other. And What I'm saying is you're probably going to have to get it in your Bible so you can actually read the Ephesians, uh, 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 sorry, Ephesians 3, verses uh, 14 through 21. And it's got several times in there where it says you, and I, just, I encourage you to put, put whoever you're praying for, put their name in there. And we're going to spend some time praying. And after that, I want you to take some time to fill out that commitment card. Again, if this, is, if this is not your home, again, don't feel any pressure. You just take the time and think about the final four or whatever you want to think about. But then when you're ready, you're going to get up with your card, and there's baskets in four corners. And I want you to just take that card and just place it in the basket. This is not a check. This is no money. This is like we've prayed. And this is the number that we feel, Lord, what, have you, what are you asking me to get? I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I've got to ask the Holy Spirit this. I don't, I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're walking through. But you would put that number on that card. And then in a little bit, you'd get up and go place it in the actual basket. And someone asked me earlier, do you know, why, why do we have to get up and go place it? Well, one, 
you know, when you're going to get engaged, the guy gets on his knees. Why does he get on the knee to do that? I don't know, but it just works. It's just something about it that makes it special. Here, babe, here's a ring. Why don't you marry me? But two, I want this to be an actual step, step of faith, not just symbolic. That we're actually taking a step with our actual feet and replacing this card in this basket. Before you do that, I want you to spend that time praying. Let me uh, pray for us this prayer in Ephesians 3, verse 14. And I'm going to give you about two minutes to pray right there at your seat. Again, the bands we play in the background. But let me, this is the prayer. I love this prayer. This is where we get that above and beyond from. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, Jason, Ashley, Emily, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you insert their name, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that you, insert their name, may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Take some time to pray right where you're at. We have some of our prayer team also in the back. If you want to pray with someone about whatever step this is, we'd love to join with you and pray for this. And after about two minutes, when the band starts singing, that means it's time to move and put your commitment cards in the baskets. Do what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do.